What a privilege again to worship with you, especially as we look forward to this incredible week that we get to, um, as a nation, thank you, thank God for the many, many blessings we have. Once again, we're going to turn to uh, the book of Daniel, though we're going to um, take a break after this week. Lord willing, we're going to turn to um, some um, messages starting next week, which, believe it or not, is the first week of Advent that will focus on the Christmas story and uh, the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. But for today, we're going to turn to uh, the second half of the book of Daniel, which is a, a radical shift. In the first half of the book, you have mainly stories, Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Nebuchadnezzar's going crazy. You have, those are stories and uh, the handwriting on the wall. But the second half of Daniel is the part that most people skip because it's full of these really weird prophecies. So today, we're going to start with a really weird prophecy in Daniel chapter 7. But before we do that, I think it's time for you to have a test. Since you got out of school, I think, this week, you must be just fresh, ready for a test. So here it goes. Um, if you look at those animals on the uh, screen up there, each of those animals is the animal, the national animal of a country in our world today. So the kangaroo, of course, is? Good. The bear? Russia. Oh, good. The fish? Japan, oh, you're doing well. The Bengal tiger. India, okay, and the Komodo dragon. Indonesia, yay, yeah, you're doing well. Oh, you skipped that top one, the bald eagle. <laughs> that one, of course, is us, the United States, the lion. Um, many, there are actually many countries in Africa, but um, Great Britain, theirs is the lion. The Kiwi, New Zealand, and oh, the Springbok. Yay, someone knows. That's South Africa. Yeah. Um, these are um, countries of our world. Almost every single, I think every country in the world has an animal which represents it. And today in our text of Scripture, Daniel chapter 7, the countries of the world, the empires of the world in which Daniel lived and in which he's going to look into the future and see are represented by animals. But not animals quite like this. They're a little bit stranger than these animals. So today, the future of us is going to be told by God through Daniel using largely animals. Now, there's something about the book of Daniel you need to know. Daniel is the only book in the Old Testament that is written in two languages originally. The whole rest of the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, the language of the Jewish people. The whole New Testament is written in Greek, the language of the world at the time when Jesus was here on earth. But the book of Daniel is different. You see, Daniel is Jewish, who speaks Hebrew, so he writes half of his book in Hebrew. And when he writes in Hebrew, he writes it particularly to the Jewish people. But about half of the book of Daniel is in Aramaic. Aramaic was the, the English of that world. Aram means Syria, so it was the language of Syria, which was the lingua franca of the day. So part of his book is written in Aramaic, and the part we look at today is in Aramaic, which means 
It is not intended primarily for the Jewish people. It is primarily intended for all people of the world, including us. So this is, uh, Daniel is now going to tell us the story of, of history through animals, which we often use with countries, and uh, it's going to be a little weird. Now, we're coming to a weird part of the book of Daniel, which is called apocalyptic. And let me explain to you what this is. You find this in the book of uh, Revelation as well, also Ezekiel. But the latter half of Daniel is apocalyptic. Apocalyptic is a metaphor-rich genre. In this regard, it's like poetry. Metaphors and similes teach by analogy. They throw light on difficult concepts and things by relating them to something we know from common experience. As such, the images speak truly and accurately, but not precisely. In fact, we're going to be um, talking today about these weird animals. But you don't go to the wingtips of some animal and say, well, this tells us this is about such and such. No, it's, that's not the intention. The animal that it's going to see is a metaphor for something bigger. And they're very, very clear if you look at them. So Daniel chapter 7 is our text of scripture. And today we're going to be introduced to four animal kingdoms and a four, fifth kingdom and a sixth kingdom. They're going to be six kingdoms. Four that will be animal kingdoms. One that's going to be the kingdom of a great big horn. And the sixth one is the kingdom of God. These are the six kingdoms that Daniel is going to see in his vision. So here's how the text goes. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream. And visions passed through his mind as he was lying on his bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Now, you need to know a couple of things. Remember Belshazzar? He's the last king of Babylon. And remember, Daniel is the easiest book in the Bible to date because we know the exact dates from the Bible and from ancient Babylonian and Persian history. It's very easy to date. Now remember, Dan, the handwriting in the wall, that was King Belshazzar, but at the end of his reign. He reigned at the very end of the Babylonian Empire, and his empire was, was conquered by the Persians, the Medo-Persian Empire. But this is the first year of his reign. So this is some years earlier, uh, quite a few years earlier. The date is 553 B.C. Now remember, Daniel chapter 7 is 553 B.C. Daniel chapter 6 was 539 B.C. So it is not in chronological order, but we can date it easily because it tells us when to go. So Daniel now uh, is... Um, <clears throat> He's about 50 years of age. He's a 50-year-old man now, the first year of Belshazzar. So he has a dream. Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. Now the sea back in that society was something that was greatly feared the, the sea was the symbol for chaos and disorder and great fear. Um, when they made a voyage across the Mediterranean, for example, or the Persian Gulf, that was a very dangerous voyage. Many people died. We don't fear the sea as, the, as such today, but they certainly did back then. 
And so here is uh, someone's uh, depiction of the sea, and out of the sea comes these uh, weird-looking animals, as you can see. The first was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off, and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a man. And the heart of a man was given to it. Now, the symbol of the Babylonian Empire, from all ancient records and the Bible, is a lion and an eagle. So it's crystal clear what he's talking about here. This is the Babylonian Empire, and we're going to see later in the chapter. This is the Babylonian Empire that's depicted as a lion with wings of like an eagle. And interestingly, the wings are talked, uh, taken off, and now the lion stands up, and it, has, it stands on two feet like a man, and it has a heart. Interestingly, of all the empires, the empire that was most humane, heart-filled, was the empire of Nebuchadnezzar, the king. Not only was there great peace in the world, but it was an empire of great dignity and human goodness. The Jewish people, though they were captives in the empire of Babylon, they lived a good life. They had homes there. They had gardens there. They lived peaceably and well. Why? Because this government had heart. But after Nebuchadnezzar, it declined very, very quickly. And soon it was taken over by a second empire. This is the picture of the lion with wings. This represents Babylon. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. Well, this is obviously the Medo-Persian Empire. The Medo-Persian Empire was, was two smaller empires that were put together. The Medes were very small. The Persians were very, very large. So it was like a bear that had one side that was big, the other side that was small. And they became powerful by um, absorbing, conquering and absorbing three smaller empires. And so this is the Medo-Persian Empire that Daniel sees through animals in his dream. After that, I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. And on its back, it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. Now, anyone in our world today, when you see that, you know exactly what that's talking about, if you have any knowledge of history at all. But remember, Daniel now, with the two empires we've talked about already, those two animals, he was still alive, but he's not alive anymore. This is an animal that had the speed of a leopard, went through the world with such fast speed that the world had never seen anything like it before. It was almost like a leopard on steroids, but instead of steroids, had wings. How many wings? Four wings. Had four wings. A leopard conquered the world in lightning speed, the fastest conquering the world has ever seen. But then, at a very young age, Alexander the Great, he died. And his kingdom, which was enormous, stretching from Europe all the way to India, was divided among his four generals. And now it was parceled into four parts. That, of course, is easy for anyone that knows history at all to know that that's a, a very incredibly concise definition of the Greek Empire. But then there's a fourth beast. And this one is not 
spoken about in terms of animals. It's just a beast. It's weird. After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast. It was terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. See, this is not, it's, it's becoming less and less animal-like, as you can see. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. Now, this is one uh, depiction uh, of, of, the, of the beast here, uh, the fourth beast. And um, now the beast is going to be eclipsed by the horns. Look what comes next. While I was thinking about the horns, remember, this is Daniel's dream. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth that spoke boastfully. Well, now he's turned from animals to horns. This one is kind of weird. Here's a head with ten horns on it. As you can see, three of those horns have been uprooted, and there's a little horn that's starting to spring up. It's got eyes like a human eyes and a big, fat mouth. And now Daniel's going to start to focus on this horn because it's going to particularly intrigue him in his dream. But as he sees all of that, he sees these various horns, um, there's going to be now... He's going to, in his dream, he's going to have another vision, but this one is of a different place completely. And it's now going to be written in poetry, not prose, because something different is going to enter into his dream. As I look, thrones were set in place. He went from the sea and the animals and all these weird animals. Now he's gone into a throne room. In fact, a courtroom. Thrones were set in place and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, purity. The hair of his head was white like wool, wisdom. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze, glory. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him, 10,000 times 10,000, a hundred million. The court was seated and the books were opened. So now he shifted from the sea and these crazy animals depicting obviously human kingdoms. Now he takes it to another scene, a courtroom scene, a throne room scene, where there's a place of order, not chaos, power, glory, majesty, purity, wisdom, light. The juxtaposition is pretty stunning. There he sees one like the ancient of days and the books are opened in front of him. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain. Which beast? The fourth one. The one that wasn't like a lion or a leopard or a bear. The one that was just like a weird looking beast with all these horns. That beast was slain. Its body was destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. So the beast is gone, but the horn continues. The other beasts had been stripped. That is, the lion and the bear and the leopard. They'd been stripped of their authority, but were allowed to live for a period of time. 
So now he's going to focus on the horn. You see, that's like the, the, the fur of a, an animal. And out of that fur comes a horn. And the horn's got eyes and the horn's got a big mouth. And let's, Daniel's particularly intrigued by the horn because this is what he focuses on in his dream from God. In my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. Now he's shifting. Remember, he starts with the sea and all these wild animals. Then he goes up to the Ancient of Days in the throne room of heaven. And then he goes back to focusing on this little horn that's got the big mouth. And then he goes to the, to the heaven scene again. And there he sees one who he calls like a son of man. And by the way, if you know the New Testament, this is where Jesus gets his title from. The mo Jesus usually in the New Testament calls himself the Son of Man. He isn't called the Son of God, but seldom. He's mainly called the Son of Man. He gets it from Daniel. So Jesus is specifically, when he comes on this earth, he says, that's me. When Daniel spoke about the Son of Man in front of the Ancient of Days, that's me. So this one, who is Jesus now, approached the Ancient of Days... God the Father, was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worship him. And by the way, the Bible is clear. No being on the face of the cosmos is ever to be worshipped except God alone. But the Son of Man is worshipped. By all peoples, nations, and men of every language worship him. And what is he like? He has a dominion that is everlasting, that will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. We sang about that in our worship today. Now remember again, Daniel's dreaming. This is all a dream. So now there's the son of man in front of the ancient of days. And here's Daniel's dream. So now, Daniel, if you had that dream, and uh, you'd probably go, um, what in the world is this all about? But Daniel's still dreaming, and now in his dream, which has been conveyed to him in his dream by an angel, he asks the angel what all this stuff means. And here's the explanation. I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. Yeah, me too. I approached one of those standing there and asked him who would be standing there? Who would be standing there in the presence of the Ancient of Days and one like the Son of Man? An angel. I asked him, what's the true meaning of all this? So he told me and he gave me the interpretation of these things. So now his vision is going to start to make a little bit more sense. The four beasts are four kingdoms that will arise on the earth. But the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever, yes, forever and ever. 
So the first thing he does is he says, yes, human history will, become, will be characterized by four beasts. But there is another kingdom, a kingdom that will not pass away, that will not be defeated, that will not fade out of existence. It will last forever and ever. Remember I told you there are six kingdoms. There's still another one to come. If you remember, some weeks ago we went in Daniel chapter 2. That was a vision that God gave to Nebuchadnezzar the king. And he depicted, remember that statue with a gold head and a silver shoulders and brass torso and iron legs and feet of clay? Well, that vision is identical, really, to the vision that God gave to Daniel now, but with animals rather than this image with metals. The head of gold, the lion head, is, is the Babylonian kingdom. The silver portion, the bear, is the Medo-Persian kingdom. The brass, the leopard kingdom, is the Greek kingdom. And the iron, or the beast kingdom, is the Roman kingdom. And those horns and toes, well, we'll get to those in a minute. Because that's where Daniel is going to find himself particularly perplexed. Here are the kingdoms. With Daniel chapter 2, this statue, Daniel chapter 7, these weird animals. Well, back to the Bible. Then, and if you were Daniel and you were in having this dream, the part that would probably most interest you and plague you would be that crazy horn that's shooting off its big mouth. And that's what perplexes him. Then I wanted to know the true meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others and most terrifying with its iron teeth and bronze claws, the beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot wherever it went. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up before which three of them fell, the horn that looked more imposing than the others and that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the saints and defeating them until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the saints of the Most High. The time came when they possessed the kingdom. So now you've got the six. You've got the four animal kingdoms, and that fourth animal kingdom, the great beast one, is the one out of which this horn came, and now this horn is going to establish a kingdom, a very big kingdom, that is going to oppress the saints until God puts an end to it. So you've got six kingdoms, four animal kingdoms, one horn kingdom, and the kingdom of God. There's the horn, the dragon, the beast, and the big, big-mouthed horn. He gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. And by the way, the Roman Empire was the, probably the greatest empire in the history of the world. It's out of this empire we get the Pax Romana, the 500 years in which the world had a, a measure of peace. Why? Because of the power, the juggernaut of the Roman military. They enforced peace with power. They crushed the whole earth. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. 
After them, another king will arise. Different from the earlier ones, he will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his saints and try to change the set times and laws. This is one powerful dude. Not only does he have eyes which depict human insight, great intelligence, not only does he have a big fat mouth that is incredibly arrogant and boastful, boastful about God, says, I have nothing to do with God. He will oppress God's people, and he will go so far as to try to even change the, the natural law of the planet. Right and wrong will be reversed. And the saints will be handed over to him for a time, one, times, two, and half a time, three and a half. Which, of course, as we're going to see later in Daniel, and then if you went to the book of Revelation, would be called the, 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 the tribulation part of the, half of the tribulation time. This little horn is the part that, um, that uh, is, is most intriguing for Daniel and most frightening. What is this? Who is this person or this, this a leader that will have such great, great power over people all over the world? And here are some of the characteristics. He'll uproot other kingdoms. He'll... Um, He'll be start small and insignificant and rise to great power, taking over all the kingdoms of the world. This is what the Bible would talk about with regard to the Antichrist. Anti-opposite of Christ. And the book of Daniel is going to be the main place in the Bible that's going to tell us more about the Antichrist, which Jesus then will tell us about in Matthew, and then John will tell us about in the book of Revelation. The Antichrist is a world leader of great, great, great power, unlike any the world has ever seen before. Incredibly intelligent, powerful, boastful, arrogant, and dangerous for God's people. But, I love the word but, but the court will sit, and the power of the horn, this one horn, the Antichrist, will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then, the sovereignty, power, and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be handed over to the saints. The people of the Most High, His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey Him. That's the end of the story. The great horn is not the end of the story. God and His kingdom is the end of the story. God wins. This is the end of the matter. So there's the end of Daniel's dream, and... If you had that dream, what would you do? Well, I think you'd do the same as Daniel. I was deeply troubled in my thoughts, and my face turned pale, and I kept the matter to myself. Why would you want to tell anyone else about this uh, horrible, horrible thing that you just have, you've just seen? Uh, I don't know why. So, so what? Wasn't that a nice lesson about, did you hope you got some nice things to draw when you go home, these crazy animals? So what? what? Why did God give that dream to Daniel? Why did Daniel write that dream down in the Bible? What's it? And remember, this is given to us. It's in Aramaic. It's designed by God for the peoples of the world. So what? Let me draw out some so what's as we leave. Number one, 
Daniel 7 is a message from God on the kingdoms of this world. He tells us that. If you look at Daniel 7, and if you have your Bible and you underline your Bible or highlight it, highlight all the time you see kingdom over and over and over again. He's talking about the kingdoms of this world. In that world, they had kings. We don't have kings so much today. We have presidents and prime ministers. But it's the same thing. Daniel 7 is a message from God on the countries or the empires of this world. There are essentially two kingdoms, and they are in conflict. These two kingdoms are the, the earthly kingdoms of this world and the celestial kingdom of eternity of our God. And one of the greatest questions that we will have to ask, this is the so what, is to which kingdom do you owe your ultimate allegiance? Now, if you owe your ultimate allegiance to the kingdom of this world, that is, even the United States of America, your ultimate allegiance, I very much say the Pledge of Allegiance and stand for the, for the national anthem, but your ultimate allegiance. As Christians, we, our ultimate allegiance is to the kingdom of heaven. Every other kingdom on earth will fall. Every empire has fallen. There's only one kingdom that will last forever. It is the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever. We need to choose our allegiance. Earthly kingdoms can have heart. This is the good news. The good news is that Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom and Cyrus's kingdom, this world has produced, believe it or not, good leaders. They actually exist. They're people who actually have heart. They rule in favor of human beings to live good, peaceable, just, noble lives. But that is not the norm. The norm, what, how do we mark all of our history as human beings? By the acts of virtue? We, we, we mark all of our history by wars, by killing. The most human history is the history of the massive abuse by governments of power. But not all. There are some that have heart. And so who should we be? We should be people who stand for justice and humanity. Why? Because governments can have heart. And we should be people who stand against the abuse of power. Why? Because we're God's people. King human kingdoms rise and fall, but none remain, including probably our own. Hopefully it won't be in any of our lifetime, but the United States of America will not last as a world power. Never has happened before, never will happen. Every one of them sows the seeds of its own destruction. We'll all be gone, including our own. And some of those seeds have been sown rather deeply in our soil, I'm afraid. Human evil is only the visible manifestation of a much greater cosmic spiritual war. You see, there's more going on, and Daniel's later chapters are going to show us more about this cosmic war that's going on. But you see, there's more going on than just what we see here. The newspapers only write what they see on earth, but there's more going on. 
So one of the ways that we defeat or we fight in this battle well is on our knees, not with swords, but in prayer. Human evil will one day reach a chilling climax. If I had been alive in the 30s, as some of you here were, I would have thought Hitler was it. I would have thought Hitler is the Antichrist, but he wasn't. Hitler was responsible for the death of some 20 million people. Stalin was responsible for the death of some 20 million people. Mao Zedong was responsible for somewhere between 49 and 75 million people, his own people. Human evil has been incredibly great, but there will be a chilling climax. So how should we then live? Keep looking up. One day, God will intervene to abolish evil and establish eternal righteousness. That is our hope. Jesus will return. I will return, he said when he left this earth. That's where our hope resides. Not in General MacArthur, but in Jesus. He will return. And God is in control. The great lesson that Daniel was to take away from this, and so should we, is this. God is in control. And even when wild animals rule on earth, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, is still on the throne of heaven. That's our great hope. You see, even and, and of all people who can live in a world that is controlled by wild animals sometimes. We of all people know who ultimately will win. And our ultimate sovereign is not the President of the United States. Our ultimate sovereign is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is depicted too as an animal, a lion, powerful, regal, but also a lamb that was crucified. What a combination. Meekness and majesty. Manhood and deity in perfect harmony. The man who is God. That's who we worship. And so the ultimate lesson of Daniel chapter 7 is to whom do we pledge our allegiance? And where do we place our hope? And how do we live when wild animals rule, we place our trust in the Lion of Judah, the Lamb whose blood was shed for the whole world. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for the hope you give to us in Jesus. It is crystal clear, and everything in our world points to the fact through your word that you win. You have won. You won on Calvary 2,000 years ago. You win. Oh, help us to be people of hope, people of peace, people of justice, people of love, people of mercy, people of worship, people whose lives are centered on the, the Lord Jesus Christ. And may we, Heavenly Father, as we leave this place, even in times that are pretty much troubled right now, it's a mess out there, may we be people who walk with Jesus and who live different kind of lives because our hope is built 
in eternity and not just this world. To that end, I pray for all of these people here today. In the name of Jesus, amen. Please stand with me. And may you, may you go from this place today and not fear wild animals. But instead, may you fear the, the, the one that, that gave everything for us, our Lord Jesus Christ. And he does not evoke fear. He evokes love and obedience. And may you go in the grace, the mercy, and the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you.